Hey there, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. Today's episode, whoa, we're on to part two of four minutes of truth. Cue the music. <laughs> hey, I'm Angela Lucier, and I'm your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. Now meeting online, if you want to improve your public speaking skills in front of the screen, check us out at speakersisterhood.com. Okay, you may have heard, I think it was a month ago, my first installment of the new series, Four Minutes of Truth. We had five women who are just phenomenal sharing their truth on the podcast. I love that episode so much. And today is no different. We have uh, just like, I don't even know what category these go in. They're just so great. Short little, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I'm like, I'm speechless. I love it. They're, (laughs) these are submissions from listeners who heard the first podcast and said, I want to be part of that and submitted Therefore, minutes of truth. I don't want to ruin it. I'm not going to give anything away. Just listen to it and be inspired. Feel like, oh, wow, I'm not the only one. And if you want to submit your own four minutes of truth, I'm going to continue this series and would love to feature your voice. You can really easily submit your recording to me. I put all the instructions in the show notes so you can send everything to me and Maybe you'll hear it on an upcoming episode. So without further ado, here is today's show, Four Minutes of Truth, Part 2. My name is Julia Becker Collins, and this is my four minutes of truth. As a type A high achiever, I pride myself on pushing hard and always doing the best job possible, whether that's in my career as the chief operating officer of vision advertising, as an endurance athlete in ultramarathons, or with my friends and family, but I've never had patience with myself. And I'm trying to learn it now that I have cancer and have had to slow down. As someone who has always run towards the challenge with sheer determination rather than away from it, big scary things just don't scare me. I'm a hyperlogical type A, Enneagram number eight, no sugar coating, straight shooter who can climb any mountain, whether they be physical or metaphorical until cancer. Now the physical mountains are pretty hard to climb, and the metaphorical mountains are pretty hard to climb too, but not impossible. Maybe that's how I've advanced my career so far at a young age, and gone from not being able to run at all, or an athlete, to running a 5k, to running an ultramarathon in the span of five years. But at my core, I know I can always push harder do more, go further. I don't understand quitting or not meeting deadlines. The only way to get rid of me is to pull me off the field. So trying to have patience with anything in regards to what I'm capable of is just not something I'm used to. 
the start of the COVID crisis, I was not only working nonstop to secure the financial future of my company, but I was also working nonstop to try to get the testing done to get diagnosed with thyroid cancer. From right after my diagnosis until I had surgery and started my medical leave, I spent so much time reassuring everybody else in my life that everything would be fine that I never absorbed the truth of my diagnosis. From phone calls with clients where I had to comfort them when I told them the news, to explaining everything to my staff and crafting an interim leadership plan for my company for my medical leave, to phone calls with my family spread all over the country, I spent the month from diagnosis to surgery managing the project and operations of my cancer as if it was a business but not working through any emotions. But since then, I've had to really slow down in order to let my body heal, figure out what I'm actually capable of doing, and that's a day-to-day process. Everything is much harder now, really just everything, from eating to running to working. Everything is harder. And I have to learn how to be patient with the healing process, the long process of treatment, and that my body isn't going to react under stress the way it used to. I need to accept that I'm doing everything I can to get healthy, to help my body fight this disease. I can't hard work my way through this process, which is humbling. Having cancer is like going through a veil, and then you see everything differently for the rest of your life. It's a defining moment through which everything else will always be viewed. So my truth for now is that I'm trying to learn to be patient and give myself the space to be sick, to heal, and to do what I can. Hello, my name is Emily Aborn, and this is my 4 Minutes of Truth. I thought I was going to share something completely different with you. In fact, I even wrote Angela back when she sent out this request and I said, oh my God, I know exactly what I'm going to share. Eek! Like literally that. Um, And what I was going to share with you was a story about my dog ruining my vacation yet again. But as I was lying in bed, sitting with the question, what is my truth? I realized uh, I'm not going to tell the story of my dog. However, if you want to hear that, um, you can figure out a way to hunt me down, listen to the podcast that I have, which will be a true show of your commitment in wanting to hear this story. And I will just forever admire you for your efforts in doing so. I digress. So throughout this pandemic, um, probably like you, I've been doing a lot of things virtually, including virtual network groups. And some of those groups use timers for how long you get to speak and, you know, some don't. They just kind of let you go. Well, the ones that use timers, I like always beat the timer. I am a speed talker and I even start out my introduction with these words. I'll be like, 
don't worry. I'm not going to go on long. I'm a fast talker. I don't really have much to say. I'm like, I feel like I'm going to be wasting their time. And that I definitely make sure to include in my introduction. So as I'm lying in bed, thinking about what I'm going to say, Angela said, we have four minutes. I said, oh my gosh, no problem. I don't need four whole minutes. I'm going to cram this whole thing into three at the at tops. And that's what this is all about. Um, it's my hesitation to share the words that are inside of me when, I, when I'm not writing them down. And then honestly, even if I am writing them down, like this crazy thing that my brain does to me every single time I write an email or make a social media post or make a phone call or text somebody, am I saying the right thing? Am I, am I giving the right response? You know, group texts are really the worst. Like we have a WhatsApp thread for our family and I can't even tell you how many things I've deleted from the group and they can even see that I delete it. And I'm like, nope, nope, can't say that. So I recently wrote this piece in a gateless writing salon and if you haven't tried gateless writing... I really, really recommend it. But basically what it is, it's it's just writing from a place within your body and you do it in a really safe container with other like super nerdy introverted writers um, where like and then they reflect back all the goodness in your work after you write it. And honestly, even as I'm sharing it with you right now, I'm like second guessing every word because I haven't shared this before. So here it goes. It happens nearly every time I open my mouth. I reel back and question. My mind is spinning with thoughts and ideas. They sound so brilliant in my head. Sheer and utter genius, I'll think to myself. But when it comes out, what I wish will be meaningful contributions, they spew forth as a dangerous cacophony instead. Even now as I write this, my right middle finger is lingering over the backspace button, constantly there to allow me to stick back inside what is coming out with a giant red, uh, fuck no you don't. I'm an unprofessional. I offend, I blurt, I'm nonsensical, I'm usually just flat out wrong. I'm not him, I'm not her, and it's maddening. The best way I can describe it is that everything that's happened to me in my life, wisdom, epiphanies, learning, all locked away inside me in plain English. In most cases, apart from a few Spanish words and some French phrases I picked up at the farmer's market in Chomini, that's how all these things went inside. If I try to sneak them by the gatekeeper, though, who's living inside my brain, and let them out, He casts a magical spell and turns them into a foreign language, and then, mush. The butterflies in my stomach come alive. I fold myself inside, and I want every single fabric of my being just to melt away like an ice cube left in the sun. Smaller, 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 evaporating, gone. It's the opposite of a fairy tale where straw is spun into gold. There's no knight in shining armor, no king's fortune to save me. Instead, it's just a damsel in distress forever seeking her own self as a rescuer. Words are something I'm never short on. I carry an endless supply of them everywhere I go inside my head. The right words, though, seem to find everyone else except me. And so I keep myself locked in this tower that the villain has captured me in, waiting for the opportunity to let my hair down. If only I had the words. Hi, this is Jill, and this is my four minutes of truth. Um, There have been these internal shifts that are happening for me that are not necessarily reflected or perceived by the outside world. And I'm learning that speaking and living your truth is a skill and not necessarily a light switch that just happens. Just because something becomes true for you, it doesn't mean that you have sort of the tact or the confidence to actually live into it and 
for me, it has actually been painful, and I've not fully gotten there yet. Um, I feel like every time I take a step that is in alignment with my highest self, I notice it, but I also notice when I'm not doing it. Um, for work, it has been easier and easier. I've been calling out bullshit when I see it. I have these sort of strong convictions in my leadership that's been very easy for people to follow. Um, I think people are hungry, actually, for that kind of leadership. Um, when I meet resistance at work, I expect it, um, and I've also developed more and more skills um, to, to handle it. Um, at first, it sort of felt aggressive, you know, when you call something out, um, but now it feels almost gentle. Like, the more truth I share, the more people hear it and take action, that there's some sort of, like, trust dynamic that's been created, and it's awesome, actually, and I feel like things are, are really driving positive change, both in the workforce and for our our customers, et cetera. Um, when there is conflict, it doesn't feel personal. I'm responding and not reacting, and it's, it's really great. Um, but in my personal relationships, it's it's been hard. Um, I feel like I've been a karmic toilet, um, perhaps an enabler in some cases. Um, I think it's been the truth that I have been avoiding hard things. I always look for the past of, re of least resistance or of least suffering for everyone involved. And this means that you live only sort of a mediocre half-life for everyone. It's always a balance or a compromise or a controlled, contrived situation. And um, I'm learning that I'm, I'm pretty controlling, actually, um, and I'm not letting people do the hard things that they can do for themselves. And um, it's, it's painful. Um, it's, it's really painful. It's like I would label this sort of as emotional support that I didn't realize I was being enabling. Um, I truly believe everyone is capable of ending their own suffering and that actually suffering is part of the human condition or experience and that we are all suffering in different ways. And so I have compassion for those who are suffering, but I've been preventing them from actually taking and owning their own path. And so it's hard because as I see this challenge and I start to step into it, I am taking the pain that belongs with them and putting it into their court. and. Um, it's met with resistance, of course, because things are changing and they are um, feeling like I'm being cold or heartless and uh, it's, it's really hard, but I know that I need to take these steps into allowing them to take accountability for their own suffering and to experience their own, I can't control the situation for them and control their feelings, etc. And so... Um, learning to take this step back and it's been challenging I don't know, it's just challenging and uh, I'm not there yet and that's the truth relationship began one night at a party back in high school. It was my sophomore year. And uh, I had met her a few times before, but 
it was this particular party that we hung out and we really connected. And from that moment on, we were pretty much inseparable. We hung out all the time and she could make me laugh like nobody could make me laugh. That deep belly laugh, that laugh about nothing laugh, that childhood giggle, like make your belly hurt laugh. And she was there with me through the ups and downs of high school, the dramatic tears of boyish relationships and the stress of school and schoolwork and working. And she was there for me through it all. We bonded a lot. And don't get me wrong, we had some bad times. You know, it got to a point where I was hanging out with her so much. I would just stay home on the weekends and we would hang out together. She'd come over and it was just the two of us. And I stopped doing a lot of my extracurricular activities like show choir and things because I just wanted to hang out with her. I had more fun with her. And, but eventually we did make it through high school. We graduated and we went off to college together. And she was great to know in college because she was a great icebreaker. I was a little bit reserved, but she was not. And I met a lot of interesting people because of her musicians and artsy types and a lot of people that I still know to this day, people that are very important to me. And after college, we moved down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, spring break. We bartended down there through three spring breaks and we had an amazing time at the beach and a lot of memories. And she was there with me through it all. Again, we were meeting new people and expanding our horizons and staying up late and sleeping in, and it was awesome. And then eventually I moved home to settle my roots, and I met my husband, and the rest is history. And as I've gotten older, you know, I start to think about my relationship with her. And a lot of my friends who used to know her don't talk to her anymore. They don't see her ever. They don't keep in touch. They've outgrown her, I guess. And it's also made me look at my relationship with her. And there's things that make me nervous. Like, what if I can't get a hold of her? Or what if I lose touch with her? And that's scary to me and it's unpleasant because I don't want to lose touch with her. And at the same time, I worry about our relationship and how people perceive our relationship. I'm married. I have two kids. It's pretty taboo. But we are coming around finally as a country and a society. And we're starting to recognize these relationships and how beneficial these relationships are and how well-rounded And how these relationships really are no different than any other relationship. And people are starting to come forward and talk about these relationships more. And it makes it a little bit less taboo and it's easier to talk about. And so now I can proudly say as I stand up here in front of you today. And I can confidently pronounce that I'm in love with Mary Jean. Thank you.
All right. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, you can show me some love by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen so more people can find us. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood, and it's recorded in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Chris Collins. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now.